You're listening to highlights from the Creative Processes interview with Robert J. Sternberg, author of Adaptive Intelligence, Surviving and Thriving in Times of Uncertainty. This podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. And yet, if you look at people's ability to solve basic life problems as opposed to IQ test problems, one wonders where those 30 points are. We seem to be losing in the conflict against global climate change. The pandemic, COVID-19, pretty much outwitted us for a long time. It's still outwitting some people. Pollution is on the increase. Income disparities are ridiculous. They're billionaires who have nothing better to do than fly into outer space for checkoffs on their CVs while other people are starving and homeless. There are wars being fought in Ukraine in other places because of a dictator's whims. The narcissism of one dictator is enough to result in tens of thousands and probably more of deaths, just as it was in World War II. I mean, you know, you would have thought that we would have advanced from Nazi Germany, but it doesn't seem like things have changed that much. So I started to wonder what happened to all those IQ points? What good were 30 IQ points if our ability to solve serious problems, not standardized test problems, not what's the number in this series or what's the cosine of something or what does the word assuage mean, but real problems, if we can't seem to do that, then are we looking at intelligence wrong? There are an awful lot of people who have graduated from top schools in the United States, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, or great schools in other countries who become leaders who are worse than incompetent. They make their countries worse rather than better. And the conclusion I came to is that we made a mistake, that intelligence was originally defined by the founders of the field, Alfred Binet, David Wexler, and others, as the ability to adapt to the environment. And answering a vocabulary problem for an obscure word is not about adapting to the environment. Most of the words you never see in the environment. Solving complex geometry problems that you'll never again encounter in your life after high school, that doesn't seem like adaptive intelligence either. So I began to wonder where we lost the train of thought. And the conclusion I came to is that psychologists forgot the original message of the founders of the field. Intelligence is something that's collective or individual. It seems that there had been this emphasis on the individual, the individual achievement, the idea that you think alone and you achieve alone, and that doesn't do well for society or even your own children if they have to worry about their own extinction or spend all that money that they've earned protecting themselves because of other existential risks. And one of the things I discussed in the book and in some of my articles is that intelligence is a concept as we know it mostly evolved in individualistic societies. So we have this notion that you should take a test, you do it by yourself. If someone helps you, you're cheating. But there are very few serious real world problems that are solved individually. And if they are, they're usually not solved well. And the more you try to solve them without seeking input, if you look at dictators, they usually are really bad leaders. We've got a few of them right now. And they don't make good decisions because they surround themselves by yes men. And if they make a mistake, no one has the guts to tell them because they know they'll lose their job and maybe go to prison or worse. So yeah, I think it's important to make intellectual decisions, not only individually, but in groups, but in serious groups. 
not in groups where the people are handpicked to say, yes, uh, I agree, because that's their only choice. And the other thing, that collectivism isn't the answer, because in collectivist societies, if you get a very charismatic pseudo-transformational leader, as we have in some very highly populated countries today, they can convince a lot of people that to support the country should support me, when in fact, you're only supporting the dictator. You're not supporting the country. You're not doing anything for yourself. What you're doing is entrenching the power of the dictator and the people who follow him. I say him because it's virtually always a him and not a her. And in many countries, this word socialism, as it's been implemented, is flawed. But when we have the serious resource problems, and it's only getting worse, and I don't like to be negative, but we have it on various fronts from water insecurity, food insecurity, and you mentioned, of course, climate change and all these related issues, we do have to consider these collectivist or socialist or cooperative solutions. Yeah, I think what happens in the United States, is that politics have become so cynical and so dishonest that the words are just thrown around to scare people. The politics in many countries, including my own, especially of one of the parties, is simply a politics of fear and anger. Scare them, make them angry. And to some extent, both parties in the United States are doing that. So I think that it's not about whether the word is socialism or collectivism. It's really that at this point, given the way things are going, if we don't look for a common good, we'll destroy humanity. We can't keep doing this. The temperatures can't keep getting higher. The water shortages can't keep increasing. The storms can't keep getting worse. There's parts of the world that are already getting flooded. Is that the future we want? And I hope it's not. But people are so attuned to the short term and to individual gains that I worry about what kind of future the world has. When I first studied intelligence while I was a child, I did poorly on IQ tests. I wanted to understand why I did poorly. But my first serious studies were in graduate school. And I thought at the time that the problem with intelligence tests was that the psychometric model, this measurement model, doesn't tell you about the mental processes people use in solving problems requiring intelligence. So you could have somebody who is very good at verbal comprehension, but doesn't have a big vocabulary because English isn't their first language, or they grew up in a lower SES, socioeconomic status home, where there wasn't that much language tossed around. And so that's what I believe in my thesis, which was published as a book in 1977, that it was that we didn't understand mental processes. By 1985, I concluded that I'd made a mistake and that the problem was actually not just that we don't understand processes, but that our conception of intelligence was too narrow that it was too much based on memory and analytical thinking, and that it didn't incorporate creative and practical thinking. And that to be intelligent in the world, you need to be creative and you need to have common sense. There are a lot of high IQ people who don't have much common sense. Some would say I'm one of them. And then by the 1990s, concluded that I still didn't have it right, because what really matters most is not just having a balance of analytical, creative, and practical skills, but figuring out how to deploy them, how to capitalize on what you're really good at and compensate for or correct things you're not so good at.
And then by 2003, I'd come to the conclusion that the model was still incomplete because it didn't include wisdom. So I sort of taught, and wisdom is not, it's not practical intelligence. Practical intelligence is looking out for yourself. So people are very practically intelligent at making a lot of money, but that doesn't mean they're wise or at getting a lot of awards or getting a lot of acclaim. These days, just being outrageous often seems to get your attention. So I added wisdom to the theory. And then came the adaptive intelligence phase, which I first published about in 2019, which is that you need something more than that. You need to make the world a better place because at least for humanity, it's in decline. For viruses and bacteria and cockroaches, they're doing fine, but humanity isn't doing fine. In my most recent work, which is not published yet, it's under review, is that I came to the conclusion I still made a mistake because a lot of intelligence isn't even in your abilities. It's in your attitude toward life. The problem today isn't that people don't have the intelligence. They don't choose to use it. If they applied critical thinking, if they really thought about what some of these politicians are saying, they see it doesn't make sense. They just don't want to think too much. So a lot of intelligence is just seeking alternative points of view, verifying information, asking yourself whether what you believe is supported by facts, and to a large extent are falling for pseudo-transformational leaders is because either we don't want to ask or because we've never really been taught to ask questions about how should we think about things. So I think a lot of the problem today is attitude, that very, even very smart people know they're being fed a lie. They just don't want to think about it too much. I think that it comes down also to, they may be aware vaguely, we always feel like we know more than we do, <laughs> we, could, we have no from the outside, but they feel powerless. And I think that for even very you know, intelligent and capable people and those who are able to ask those questions and are even good collaborators or leaders in their own field, that to really make that effective change, they would have to enter that. And some people don't want to, if I can use strong language, contaminate themselves. You have to harden yourself. You have to really compete on that level. I was just having a conversation with someone else about that earlier this morning, the feeling of impotence, that there's nothing I can do anyway. And I understand that because I often feel that way myself. And there have been times like I just feel like giving up. And the reminder someone once gave me that I would give other people is that you don't really fail until you stop trying. And so even if you're trying in a small domain and you realize that you may not get that far, the other option is to let the world keep going the way it is. And that's not a good option either. It's better at least to try the best you can, knowing that the contribution you make may be small, but it still could make a difference. That you're part of a solution rather than part of the problem because you're opting out. And I like very much how you described your changing perspective, your evolving nuanced perspective on what intelligence is, because really, it's if you describe that, it's adaptive. Your ideas about it has, have adapted over the years. And it's so encouraging to see that because a lot of times we just like want to know something, learn it, it's fixed, it's done, and then I don't want to think about it again. So it's really important that we're always questioning ourselves, even about the things that we think that we know. Yeah, in my triangular 
entire theory of creativity, I say there are three elements of creativity that are really important. One, which was from the early work with Todd Lubart, is defying the crowd. You don't just go along with what other people say because they say it. A second is defying the zeitgeist or not just doing things because all your friends, it seems like you have to do it. I mean, that's just the way the world works. But the most important one is probably defying yourself. I've thought this way for 20 years, so I'm not going to let it go. You have to constantly, and I was thinking about my own field. Most theorists of intelligence, they come up with a theory when they're 25, 30, 35, and they pretty much stick with it. But scientific theories are all wrong. Certainly psychological ones are. And if you stay with a theory too long, you stop being creative because you think you found the answer. And as soon as you think you found the answer, you're not creative because what's going to be creative. We hope you've enjoyed listening to these highlights. To listen to the latest episodes or learn more about participating in exhibitions or interviews, please click subscribe. Thank you for listening.